0: Hello and welcome back. Today my guest is Andrew Bolton. Andrew is a copywriter, a lecturer at the University of Lincoln and an all-round good guy. Today you can expect to learn the hidden beauty in copywriting, editing and baby mutilation and why reading is the best thing that any copywriter can do. Today's episode is insightful, it's funny and is a great glimpse into Andrew's book Copywriting Is, which is available everywhere now. So enjoy the episode, buy Andrew's book and enjoy that too. Just so you know, you are on the 36th most popular marketing podcast in Taiwan. Uh, that's that's in Taiwan? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, no, I mean, what are the
1: other 35 doing? That's what I want to
0: know. Yeah, I mean, you should listen to them first, then get to us. But yeah, we're big over there for some reason. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, what drew you to start a career and have a career in copywriting and advertising? How did you get into the business?
1: Uh, I, I kind of got into it the way... Every other writer I, I I know has got into it. I, I bumbled into it completely by accident. Um, so i I'd, I'd gone travelling after university. <coughs> Excuse me. I'd done um I'd done a degree that that has served me absolutely kind of no, you know, no value uh, since I got it. And I, I think I just like a lot of people, I was a bit lost. I felt like I should go to university without really any kind of picture of where that would take me so I went and, and racked up a huge amount of debt went to university got this useless degree went traveling um just to kind of put off having to make any choices about anything uh and I, um, while I was out there I, I stumbled into a couple of writing jobs you know slightly weird uh unexpected jobs I was writing um football reports for a newspaper uh in Melbourne uh and I was I was writing adverts for the Australian sort of yellow pages you know the the um Sort of the classified ads I was writing these these kind of yeah. uh, uh, kind of promoted promoted things in there. So both both sort of slightly strange, but it was just an eye opener to kind of discover that there there were jobs out there where you get paid to write, where you get paid to do things with words. And and writing had always been my thing. It had always been the thing I'd I'd enjoyed and I loved and I really wanted to be good at and I wanted to, um, if not make a living out of, but then certainly for it to kind of be a big part of my grown up life. Um, so, you know, the, the experience of, uh, of kind of finding these gigs, I came back and I, I looked into, you know, what kind of jobs there were for, for writers. And, and that's that's when, sort of at the age of whatever, 21, 22, I discovered that copywriting existed. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to get a job at um, a credit card company called Egg. You probably don't remember them; they've gone bust. But at the time, they were a really big brand. They were a really sort of, you know, quite daring brand in the sort of the banking world. So I got a job in their in-house agency, um, uh, and it was brilliant. And 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 I've never really kind of stepped away from from copywriting in a meaningful sense.
0: Yeah, it's quite nice that you. Um, I think it's, it's, it's weird that just so many people have such a similar start, where they just yeah. Like, it's like a, a little taste of writing, and then, then people sort of discover copywriting. I'm the exact same where um, my undergrad was unrelated, and then sort of discovered advertising. Like, well, like, you know, in 18 in school, at 18 when you're leaving school, sorry. Um, we just don't really seem to have that much exposure, like, you know, just don't have the knowledge that, that it's even a career.
1: No, not at all. Not at all. And I, I think what you've just described there, Kieran, is, is kind of what... Uh, pretty much up and down the country, is everyone is is in that same boat where you are at school, you're doing your A levels, you've got a passion for writing, you love the idea of uh, of you know a career where you're paid to do something with words. But as far as you know, and as far as your teachers know at that point, you know those careers are journalism or you know trying to write a novel. Uh, And it doesn't particularly extend beyond that. There's there's no awareness of copywriting in a a creative agency. There's no awareness of copywriting from a content point of view and all these kind of, you know, viable careers in content writing there are now. And that's not the fault of the teachers. um, But there's something that needs to be done to put it on people's radar. So when they're at the age where they can start to make some choices about where their future wants to go and start to really... You know, very seriously, kind of refine their skills as a writer and start to kind of figure out what kind of writer they are and what kind of career path is best going to suit them. I'd really love for copywriting to be a much more well-known uh, career path, and and you know, hopefully, we we would start, or rather, stop losing this this kind of huge amount of creative writing talent who never never kind of finds our world because it's so secret and it's so hidden to them at, at the right moment.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think if it got into schools, it'd be great. Because like, if you were good at English or you're, you know, a talented writer, even I can even remember being in, you know, primary or early secondary school. The paths were, as you said, journalism or you know, novel writing, creative writing, and I think even then, like teachers and you and parents are all aware. You know, you don't really want to push someone to be a creative writer because you know, of all the creative writers in the world, you know, it was a, a very very small percent of them you know, even managed to make it a sport of successful full-time career. Like, it's so competitive and so difficult. But, you know, there's so many copywriters out there and we just don't have... Yeah, we, there just needs to be something that bridges the gap that gets into... Uh, totally
1: Yeah, and, you know, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head again. I think it's this idea that... Like no teacher, no parent is going to say, yeah, of course, go and pursue your dream to be a novelist. Go and write the next great English novel Um, or, or, you know, go and pursue your dream to be a poet, a full time professional poet. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm probably being flippant. And there are a lot of supportive arts, arts driven parents who, who probably are, you know, are saying those things. But I think a lot of the time people are saying, yeah, writing is nice, but it's going to be your hobby. Or if you do want to write this novel, you write it in your evenings after you've finished your your proper job you know it has to be on the sidelines of your life until you get incredibly lucky perhaps at some point in the future and it, it can become the thing you do um but what we're saying is yeah okay you know focusing all your energy on kind of getting this novel produced when you're sort of 18 or 19 probably isn't the most viable way to make a living from writing in the short term in the medium term uh, but there is a solution. There is a thing. There is, you know, copywriting, and and it's it's probably that that viable career, isn't it? It's that path that has got the most doors open. Uh, if that's the kind of future you see for yourself.
0: Yeah, and as you've shown, uh, you just work on it for a while, and then you get you to write, get the, to write book the book anyway. Oh anyway. well, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> don't don't wait for someone to ask. Just <laughs> just say, just convince yourself that you've got something interesting and original and worthwhile to say, and just write the book anyway. Yeah, that would be my advice.
0: Was that just the thinking then, um, in terms of the book? You know, did it just come to you one day, and you're like, "Hey, you know what? I've got some some knowledge I want to share," or like, have you always wanted to to write, a book? write a book?
1: I'm I'm one of these really awful assholes who who loves being asked what I think about <laughs> stuff, um, and that's that's kind of how I've ended up teaching uh, on an advertising degree, I think, and and you know, I, I've written a column for the Drum. For years and years now, and that's purely because I've just looked, I like to say what I think about things. Um, they're not particularly kind of hot or, or remarkably unique takes, but I just like to, you know, I, I like to write stuff about how I see the world and, I, uh, sorry, the world of copywriting specifically, uh, and, you know, how I see the profession, how I see the craft, the challenges, uh, the joys, the weirdness, the frustrations, all those different things that kind of go into this very, very odd uh, and unique kind of career. Um, so it was always there. I think it was always something I would have to have done. I, I don't think I could have settled if I hadn't had a, at least a go at doing it. The enormous barrier to it was I'm so lazy. You know, I'm so. <laughs> and, and copywriting has has probably made me lazy because I'm used to writing these very sort of short, concentrated bursts. Give me, a, you know, give me a tiny word count. Give me a headline to write. Um, yeah. You know, any day I am I struggle with doing anything that you would consider to be seriously kind of long form because I haven't got the attention span for it. So, you know, a book is almost the last thing I should have been attempting. So I had to break it down into the tiniest possible chunks. And I had to just allow myself in, in sort of, you know, the writing schedule, if such a thing even existed, um, you know, allow myself to the fact that I was going to be lazy. You know, and some days they would be a real mania and I'd, I'd get through loads of it and some days i do absolutely nothing and there was no point trying to sort of twist my arm and force me into you know into writing this chapter i really couldn't face you know face writing so it was a long process and and like everything else i do it was a very very scruffy process um but i'm not sure i could have done it in another way
0: are you the same then when it comes to like um being creative and stuff in terms of copywriting is it sort of you know it comes in it comes in you know peaks and troughs bursts and gaps um, is it the exact same thing
1: it is you know the unfortunate thing about doing the job i do is that I, I can't indulge those whims in my real proper professional life i can't say that i don't feel like writing this today you know i I've, I've not you know i've not got the the spirit within me today so i'm just going to leave it you know if your deadline is right now then I have to force myself to kind of get into it, and and that's something that I, is a kind of a constant tension, I suppose. The fact that uh, I do write on a whim, I write when I, I have that kind of feeling, that that kind of energy to write. Um, but uh, you know, you also you have to kind of you know force yourself into it when it's someone else's brief, when you're being paid to kind of produce something, and it's got to be produced within certain timescales. All that means is then as soon as you know I become the client effectively, and we're writing something purely for me you know, purely for my own satisfaction, then I can just be as sloppy and lazy and, uh, and you know, put these things off as long as I possibly can. So it's a, it's a really bad combination. But, you know, somehow, remarkably, the book exists and it's in the world and it's finished and I never have to think about writing another book again.
0: Yeah, you've done it. You've ticked it off. Did you give yourself any deadlines then to like sort of force yourself to get moving or did you like fully indulge the, you know what, no, there's no client here. There's no, there's no deadlines. I'm going to enjoy this.
1: I think I had to I think a deadline would have killed it for me I think as soon as you know it would have started to become work it would have felt like work and it, you know it, I could never let it feel like work um, yeah. because then I'd, I'd find any excuse not to do it um, so no I, I also did it in a weird way which I didn't really realize at the time. it was only when I started speaking to people who who know more about publishing and have had books published I, I wrote the whole thing I finished the book. And then I said to people, well, I've written a book, you know, what should I do now? Um, and, and from what I gather, a lot of people, certainly in the kind of types of books that we're sort of talking about, will write a proposal or they write a bit of the book or they'll plan out kind of, you know, a pitch for what this book is. And then they will go and find a publisher. And, you know, if they're lucky, a publisher will say, yeah, we like this, go off and do it. Um, so I didn't do it in that way. I wrote it, I finished it. And then I think the fact that I had these sort of 40,000 words I think also um, meant that I had to go and then do something with it. And that was the hard bit. I think, you know, knocking on the doors, emailing people, ringing people, trying to find someone who would take it and publish it because it's, um, it's a subject that I love. and My, my little, very sort of narrow world I thought would be interested in, um, but it's pretty niche. You know, um, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna crack the top 36 best, um, best sort of marketing uh, things in, in Taiwan. It's uh. <laughs>
0: it's competitive out there yeah trust me
1: <laughs> and brown it's not a david walliams children's book it's you know i can't sell this into you as you know you're going to make a fortune this is going to be an enormous kind of hit um yeah. it was a book that means a lot to me and i think some people might find it useful i'd like it to to be out in the world because i've spent all this fucking time writing it <laughs> um but then it, it's you know it's totally out of your hands and i think that's when it starts to become a little bit kind of miserable and a little bit kind of deflating uh the the whole process that goes into actually turning you know this document i've got on my computer into a book i can pick up in a shop
0: yeah i think it's in some ways though it's nicer because you wrote it almost for yourself in a way or like you know something certainly about something you're passionate about you didn't you know you didn't go out writing it going like right okay it needs to hit you know these metrics of success like it needs to reach this bestseller list or sell this many copies or whatever like you wrote it out of love and passion for like copywriting so you know, if it doesn't hit the top thirty-six in Taiwan, it doesn't really matter because you weren't writing it for that. You're writing it for yourself.
1: Well, now I know that's the thing. Is that I absolutely do want to hit the top thirty-six in Taiwan, and I'll be. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'll yeah. put these
0: terrible, terrible metrics in your head. <laughs> these lofty goals.
1: But um, yes, you, you're absolutely right, and I think you know. Uh, someone said to me, a mate said to me, who had who has written a, a, a brilliant book on copywriting called Read Me, Giles Giles Lingwood, who um, is a pal from work, and he's you know obviously written an amazing book and um, so knowledgeable about copywriting and you know the publishing process. He said to me, if you come out of the other end of it and you've made enough money to buy yourself a you know an Apple Watch, then you you've done pretty well from a a kind of publishing profits point of view. So I never went into this thinking that this is it. This is going to be the making of me. I wonder what I'll spend all my millions of pounds on. Mm. Uh, And and equally, I don't think I ever really wanted it to be or, or, or kind of needed it to be this incredible sort of critically acclaimed thing It's a book about what I think about, uh, you know, my, my view on this thing, my experiences of it. And naturally, that isn't going to resonate with everyone. Uh, and I wouldn't expect it to. I, You know, I'm, I'm more than happy for you to pick up my book and, and disagree with a lot of the things I kind of say in it. Um, but I'm hoping the reason I suppose, you know, we talk about metrics, things that we measure success by. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people really, really kindly and generously saying to me on LinkedIn and on Twitter, you know, I really liked it. It it helped me, you know, this chapter here made me, you know, think differently about a thing I've always wrestled with, or, you know, this chapter, um, uh, it, it just, it was nice to show that someone else experiences and feels the same things about a certain part of copywriting. And stuff like that, it sounds really wanky, I know, but stuff like that feels like Okay, that's rewarding. That you know that makes it all worthwhile. This was never going to be an exercise in fame or fortune, but to to know that people are finding it valuable, finding it useful in some way, you know, giving them the the kind of the energy to just kind of enjoy and get more out of this this kind of weird job we do. I feel like that's probably enough.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, friend of the show, Vicky Ross speaks about the fact that, um, especially copper ring itself, it can be quite um, isolating. Like you're. Spend a lot of time just sitting by yourself, thinking of headlines or taglines or whatever it is, um and you don't really sort of connect with other people. I mean, you can't. I mean, especially not this year and last year. But um you know, it it can be quite insular and it can be quite lonely. And I guess the fact that you've written a book that can connect with people and they can, you know, it feels like it's human to human written book. um Especially, you know, as you said about these things where somebody can. Turn around and say to you like, oh, you know, it was it was really you know nice to hear that somebody else also experienced this problem or this uh, phenomenon or whatever. Um, and just just being able to connect people through that way through the medium of a book must be must be really really cool. And as you said, uh, rewarding.
1: Yeah, it, it's been the it's been the unexpected bonus of all of this. And obviously, um, you know, Vicky, as always, uh, as she always is with copywriting things, is absolutely right. Copywriting can be quite a, a lonely or isolated thing my problem was I, that's why I like copywriting. That's what I've always enjoyed about it is, you know, I'd like to be slightly more isolated as a copywriter if possible. So sort of throwing myself out into the world with this sort of, you know, little yellow book and, uh, and just suddenly kind of just seeing a lot of people kind of reading my stuff and, and telling me what they think about it. It's a very weird situation for me to be in. I'd, I'd happily, you know, spend my career under a rock. Um, and you know i've I've thrown that rock away, and I've kind of exposed myself to the world and it feels uncomfortable. It feels you know way out of my my sort of you know usual comfort zone. um but again, like I say, that has been the sort of the unexpected joy of it, just realizing that you know in in a way I'm making these connections with other writers, I'm becoming you know um becoming something that they might use as part of their process or. Or if they're feeling particularly low on a low day of copywriting, the book might help, you know, remind them why they love it, really. And, you know, little things like that, that that'll that do for me.
0: Yeah. Um, was there any part or any chapter or, you know, anything that you wrote in the initial, so obviously 40,000 you said that you had that you went to the publishers and so on. Was there anything that got cut that you like, that you really liked and you really, you know, was there any tough editing decisions? Or, or uh, you know, editing decisions that you know were out of your hands that they just said no, we're not, we're not putting this innocent. in.
1: I I was really lucky with with the sort of the publisher I I ended up with, and and it's a chap called Giles Edwards, and I hate talking about him on stuff like this because he's he loves it when I praise him in front of other people, and <laughs> it it disgusts me to have to do it. But he was an absolutely fantastic publisher, and and a pal, and and um, I think he he approached the relationship with such kind of brutal honesty which is kind of what I like and what I'm used to kind of from my career. Um, he, you know, I could always trust his judgment on things and I could always kind of trust just his his kind of opinion. And I think that's a really kind of priceless thing to have for a copywriter, whether you're writing a book or, you know, just writing, writing ads or blogs or what, whatever, just that's someone who can be really brutally honest with you. Um, so uh, the, the the really, really sort of hard wrestling um, uh, decisions I had to make were, were kind of when I was trying to trim the book down. There were a few chapters which I loved writing. and I loved, you know, I loved some of the phrases in them. And I You know, disgusting copywriter habit. I was so pleased with myself about, you know, some of these witty um, sentences I'd written. But yeah. the chapters felt either they were repeating something that I'd kind of covered elsewhere or or i i kind of fell out of fell out of love with with what i was saying in it and i i ceased to agree with what my view had been at the time of writing it and and, and I wanted this book to be honest and it's it's very sort of, you know, there are contradictions in there and I, I address that up front. Um, there are times where I seem to be saying you can do one thing and then, then, you know, I, I say, let's do another. I think that's the nature of copywriting. You can't kind of tie yourself down to a fixed set of rules and guides. You have to be flexible. You have to be prepared to adapt to whatever situation uh, is put in front of you. And that means at times you have to compromise your values or you have to kind of compromise your process. Um, but I, th- there were some of these chapters which I, I was really kind of chortling away to myself about how, how clever I was to have written them, but they weren't saying anything that really mattered. Um, so they had to go, um, which is, is you know, even more painful. I think taking a chapter out of your own book is more painful than yeah. you know taking taking some lines out of something you present to a client where you know, with the best one in the world, you don't particularly care one way or another. Um, you just want it to be right for the client and send in your invoice and move on to the next thing. But when it's, you know, it's it's part of your own book, it's part of your own, you know, pouring yourself out onto the page, it becomes a lot harder to throw it in the bin.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's like, there's attachment to like ideas or, you know, a line or something for, you know, as you say, client work. And there's attachment to, you know, something that, you know, your book's your baby basically and you're having to tear limbs off it i can imagine that was pretty tough, tough.
1: yeah I've, I've never heard it expressed like that but you're absolutely was really like a bit, bit morbid, morbid, <laughs> it was yeah it was like <laughs>
0: mutilating my baby yeah thanks <laughs> moving on uh did you have a, a favorite chapter or or a section of the book that that survived the mutilation process
1: yes i i did i mean i i uh well, i brought the book with me because i knew you'd say something like this to me and nope. one that the one that i really like is um there's a chapter on exploding and and uh the the credit for for that whole chapter has to go to my favorite favorite book on writing it's not about copywriting it's about just you know the craft of writing in general by ray bradbury the author uh, and oh, it's, yeah. it's okay. called zen in the art of writing and it's this one bit where he talks about how when you're writing, you you almost have to kind of let go of uh, let go of kind of your critical thinking. You have to let go of the part of your brain that assesses the kind of the quality and the originality and the creativity of what you're doing. You have to put put all of those things to one side, and he calls it exploding. So you sit down at the desk and just explode. You know, just let it all kind of pour out of you, whether it's good or bad. Just get it out, get it on the page, and I absolutely love that as a thing. And, and it's it's one of those moments where I think you you read someone else's kind of um, advice on writing. And you realize that's the thing you've always done, but you've never had a name for it before. You've never had a way to describe it before. And and my best stuff and the most effective writing I ever do is when I just sit down and don't try and second guess. I don't try and think too much. I don't try and almost kind of, you know, retain too much information from the brief. I know that's sacrilege to say that. <laughs> um, but I, I just, you know, I let it all kind of pour out and I scribble and I write and, and, and we just, I see where things take me. Um, so this idea of exploding this Ray Bradbury, you know, uh, concept, um, it felt amazing. And I wanted to share that with people. And, you know, I, I wanted to say, look at this incredible thing that this guy has, has kind of come up with. This is what I do. I think you probably do it too. And just to kind of reiterate that writing can be scruffy. It can be, it, it can be a really messy process. It can be a really disordered process. Don't feel like you have to control every element of it. Um, just you know certainly in that initial stage when you're just trying to pull your brain out onto a piece of paper uh just let it be explosive let it be dynamic you know let it have no real kind of uh boundaries or barriers or 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 kind of you know other sorts of controls on it just let it be spontaneous i suppose so that 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 kind of chapter really meant a lot the other chapter which which i always like is a one on collaborating, and I, I subtitled the chapter, Find Your Clement, because there's a guy who I've always worked with throughout my career in lots of different ways called John Clement. He's a designer, and he is um, he's a really good mate. He's an idiot, um, and he'd say the same about me, but he's, you know, he's this person who I work with, and it's just so easy, and it's just so simple, and it just feels so natural, and we make each other better. Um, and I talk in that chapter about you've got to have this real brutal sort of hamstring tightening honesty and you know you found that person you found your clement when they can say to you that your idea is shit like really awfully shit there's nothing redeemable about it at all and they can come out and say it in terms as blunt as that and you don't bat an eyelid you don't feel protective or sensitive because you know uh, you you know that you kind of trust what they're saying and you trust their kind of view on it and you let it go and you move on to the next thing. And I think that's such a rare thing. I, you know, we talk all the time about creatives in our industry have to be resilient and robust. And you, there's no room for sensitivity. But it's, it's easier to say that than actually put it into practice. Um, this is still stuff that we're creating, even if it's being asked to be created for, for someone else's purpose or for a commercial purpose. Um, it's still hard to let go of the fact that this is your best creative effort. So if you can find someone who can tell you that your work is awful um, and then it's all fine and you you don't mind them saying that and you recognize why they're saying that and you can just forget that and move on to the next thing and, you know, and do the same thing in return to them it, and it doesn't become this kind of weird destructive point scoring thing. I think that is the most unique thing and valuable thing that you can find as a creative in this business. And you need to really hold on to it and you need to kind of exploit it and milk it and, and get the most out of this incredible relationship while it's there.
0: Yeah, it's such a unique industry in that you work in a pair. Like, it's so rare. You know, how many people say they go into the job and work directly with a partner? Like, it's really, really rare. But yeah, like, that. as you said, I've experienced that where you're with someone and it is, as you said, it's so freeing. Like, you, you can chuck out ideas that, you know, your sort of personal, like, filter might be like, no, that's terrible. But, like, if you're with this person, you're like, well, I might just try it. And you know, you trust that they'll, you know, if it's shit, they'll just be like, no, that was shit. And that's fine. But, like, you don't bat an island They don't bat an island They don't think, oh, they don't think any worse of you. You don't think any worse of yourself. It's just, you're just basically throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. and yeah, you're both, both the filter for each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's it's that, you know, I don't agree with, with kind of feeling comfortable if, if you're trying to be a writer and, and create stuff. I think you should always have this sense of dis- this kind of discomfort, and I think if you get too comfortable in lots of ways, your writing becomes safe and steady and-, and formulaic. But I think this is one area where comfort feels right. You know, where you're so comfortable with a person, where your relationship has got such kind of you know honesty and trust in there, even if that's expressed in in kind of really weird w- w- ways, like you're really horrible to each other and <laughs> and you take the piss out of each other's clothes and things. That's absolutely fine. It's that trust yeah. and that honesty at the heart of that. Um, and if you feel comfortable enough to, to not only sort of say, you know, I don't think that idea is good enough, let's move on, but also to say, "Mm, I'm really nervous about this, this kind of idea, um, because it feels weird and it feels a bit scary and I don't want to embarrass myself. If you've got the person who you can just come out straight away and say it to them, um, and you don't care if they laugh at you and you know, you don't care if they turn around and say, that's brilliant. Let's do something with it. I, I think that level of comfort in that relationship is, is really, really, you know, valuable.
0: Yeah, I think that's where the that's where the best ideas come from. is from that just absolutely open free fire, you know, filters are off, the thinking's like wide open, that sort of that sort of stuff. So you spoke about um, the chapter before, uh, with Ray Bradbury where he sort of managed to put a word or describe this thing that you'd experienced but you couldn't quite put into words yourself. Did you find it difficult? Cuz a lot of copywriting and advertising is stuff you sort of do automatically. And it's kind of hard to think, hmm, what am I actually doing at each moment? Did you find it difficult to, you know, describe what you do, your process or like how you think about things?
1: I, I think if I would have tried to sit down and, and almost dissect it uh, and almost kind of understand it in a formal sense, I would have found it really hard to write about it. So, you know, I, I had to do the Bradbury thing. And if I was writing about my process, I just had to kind of sit down and type. And, you know, if I'm aiming for a chapter that's sort of 700, 800 words, I'd probably get to, you know, 2000 words before I'd run out of steam. And then it's just going back through that and kind of figuring out what it is I really want to say and just kind of boiling it down to just the most important, uh, the most important points. Um, And I did, I probably did learn an awful lot about my process, but I tried really hard not to because I don't want to understand it. I don't want to know too much about it. I'd rather it became <laughs> uh, or remained sort of mysterious and, and slightly frustrating and, and uh, you know, very unreliable um, yeah. because I, I it's, kind, it's kind of worked for me. You know, uh, uh, most of the time throughout my career, it's helped me get stuff done and, and do stuff I'm proud of and, you know, do stuff that clients have been happy with. So I feel like it's quite dangerous to start meddling with that and start trying to actually know what it's all about. Um, I know a lot of writers would be absolutely the opposite and they need to know what their process is and they need to have this kind of routine and this regularity and this familiarity with, with how they do things. And I, you know, I've got no complaint with that whatsoever. Um, that's probably a healthier relationship to have with your muse, if you like, but, um, for me it was about, okay, this is good. This is good because I want to be able to explain how I do stuff. Uh, and you know, hopefully that will resonate with some other people um but as soon as i've written it i don't want to think about it again
0: <laughs> yeah well, it was a bit like magic isn't it like once you know what what the magicians actually doing you just watch for his hands and you watch for the ball up the sleeve and you're not actually enjoying the trick and it it does sort of ruin it no totally the magic of copywriting <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to know where ideas come from just just as long as they keep coming it's true absolutely Basically. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to art um, students like myself, um, just one, what would you? What would you? What would you give?
1: Um, wow, that's a really good question. So, I, you know, I, I teach on a, a course, a course that's that's pretty pretty like the one you're on uh, at the University of Lincoln. Um, I I think. I think the advice I give, and I'm probably not going to express this in the right way or in a a particularly healthy way, but (laughs) what I really tell my students more than anything is to be a bit more obsessed with it. And um, obsessed is a really, you know, I I get why that's a problematic word. Um, And I don't, you know, I would never want someone to become so obsessed. It becomes the predominant thing in in, in their kind of lives and, 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 you know, shuts out, you know, the, the truly important things in life. But... I think to get good at certainly copywriting, you have to you have to put a lot of words into your system. You know, nobody's just pulling this stuff out of their own heads. There's no expectation that, you know, this is all solely generated by whatever your brain is capable of doing without any kind of fuel or, or sustenance in it. So I'd say you've got to read the, you know, the best writers I know read a lot of stuff. Uh, and that's the best writers as copywriters, as, as fiction writers, as poets. Um, without exception, that is the thing they all have in common. And they don't just read within their own discipline. I think it's important if you're an ad student to read a lot of the great ads and the great headlines. And and, and I don't mean just, you know, you go back to, to sort of Ogilvy and burnback and, you know, all the sort of, you know, the big names from this so-called golden age. That stuff's really important. And that stuff gives you a brilliant foundation. And, and this is some incredible work there. But there's incredible work being made today uh, you know there's incredible modern work that you could learn enormous an enormous amount from um, so i think you know yes read lots of ads read lots of scripts read lots of headlines try and understand why stuff is good and why stuff is bad why stuff works and why stuff doesn't um, but also read read anything you can get your hands on anything that that feels like it's got the mark of craft in it um, poetry is an incredible thing for, for young copywriters to read because it's, it's kind of doing the same thing, you know, it, it's all about this kind of imaginative and surprising uh, uh, storytelling, you know, but it's doing it in a way that feels a bit more kind of compact, a bit more direct. Um, so I'd read a lot of that Read plays, you know, go read some plays and figure out kind of the dynamics of dialogue and the, uh, and the rhythms of the way the kind of human beings can speak and the way you can create that, that those kind of stories and that music just purely between two people exchanging thoughts. Um, so I, th- I think my really, really rambling answer to this <laughs> is, is just read a lot of stuff. You know, um, you are in a unique position as an ad student, especially if you're, you're hoping to kind of go into the copyright in side of things but not exclusively where reading stuff is is a professional duty you know doing it isn't isn't you procrastinating or wasting time or lazing about um you know just sitting on your bed and kind of reading book after book or or you know interesting magazine articles or plays or poets or you know even watching really brilliant films that are really well scripted all of that is work all of that is kind of having real professional value to you. And you know, there's not many jobs that can say uh, that's a part of, of kind of being good at your profession. Um, so I think take that opportunity um, and just build that into the kind of the way you act and behave and think as a creative. Um, I, I'd encourage students, as soon as they get a brief, um, you know, don't, don't read the brief again, yet. You know, don't really immerse yourself in that yet. You know, get a good understanding of it an initial understanding of it, and then step away from it. Go and look at something else. Go and be inspired by something else. Um, I, I think reading is really, really at kind of the heart of all the great writing and, and that, you know, there's no reason why we as copywriters are exempt from that.
0: I mean, given the green light to not have to read the brief loads of times, able to put it down and then go read something, that sounds like, yeah, I, I can on board with that kind of advice. That's, <laughs> that sounds great to me
1: i really wary of, of <laughs> dropping in these hand grenades of advice and pe- you know, people at the end wincing. No, that's not what we tell our young creatives no, to do.
0: But- well, Andrew told me to just put the brief down and read. So I'm sorry I don't have anything for you.
1: <laughs> you know, the huge caveat to all of these things, the book included, is that this is how I do it. You know, this is how I, you know, I've, I've taught myself and how I've learned how to kind of get the best out of me. And if I, if I get a brief and I spend an hour just kind of going through the brief and and highlighting things and writing down questions and, you know, circling interesting phrases and things, all of that, all of that part of the process is really useful and really important. But for me, it's not the first thing to do. Um, And that, you know, that will be really, really different for for everybody. But for me, I, I wouldn't do that. I think it would suck some kind of energy out of the process by doing that. So I go and do something different. I'll, I'll read the brief. I'll have a rough understanding of what it's asking for and and where you know where I need to go with it. And then I'll go away. I'll go on a walk. I'll uh, I'll go and sit and read something. I'll you know I'll do anything that kind of takes me out of that kind of immediate problem. And then I will come back and I'll, I'll sort of see where things stand. Um, for some people, yeah, you have to get straight into the brief, and I totally appreciate why that would be so. And that's probably a more sensible way of doing it. Or you know, all I'm saying is. If you're one of these people, even if you're kind of the one in a hundred, and you feel like your process doesn't fit in the way that everyone else is working, don't be afraid of that. Don't feel like you're doing it wrong. Don't feel like there's something inside of you that isn't kind of cut out for this world. That's bollocks. Um, you know, everyone has a different way of doing it, and some people's different is so much more different than you know the the typical way of doing it. Embrace that. That makes you that makes you a bit more unique. That, that means you're probably going to be the creative in the room who comes up with the the more unexpected idea you know don't be don't be ashamed of the way your creative brain works because you've got no control over it this isn't a choice you're making
0: yeah i like that it's it's good that it, it there's no like sort of i mean the buzzword of 2021 there's no roadmap there's no like you know guide or like this is how you have to get from problem to solution or this is how everyone in the industry does like people do it a different way and it's I guess it's sort of important to figure out what way works best for you and I guess that's just trying different, you know, try, listen to other people, see what they do, try things for yourself and I I do feel uh, definitely to your point um, about like the energy you have around it, like you don't want to just like sit, you know, download a brief into your brain and then just feel like bogged down by it and like no energy and like no enthusiasm for, for figuring out the problem because you're just like, there's numbers and insights and problems and all sorts, you know, brand information just clogging your brain you know you want to be you don't want to be dreading fixing the problem you want to be like enthused like okay yeah let's let's figure out you know how we're going to crack this sort of thing
1: totally and you know uh, even in the most accommodating uh, agencies no one is going to take responsibility for your own motivation you know, no one is going to say, right, I know that you're a creative and you creative is a delicate, delicate soul. So we're going to ensure that you're you're motivated and, and you know, all things happen at the right times. And, and in your kind of hot moments, we'll be getting, getting the most out of you. And in your your down moments, we won't be asking anything of you. No one is going to kind of pander to you in that way. But there's no reason why you can't do that yourself. And there's no reason why you can't recognize the state that you're in at any point during a project. And say this isn't a time for writing. This isn't a time for my my rational, uh, logical brain. This is a time just to kind of let my brain drift off and wander. And you know, I, in the book, I talk about um, science, which I don't fully understand, and I won't. I won't try and I won't embarrass myself by trying to repeat it here. Um, but it's it's essentially saying that you know your your wandering mind, you know, just allowing your mind to drift is actually a, a great way to access creative thinking, you know, and idea generation, the part of your brain that comes up with ways to solve a problem. Um so just recognize the state you're in. Learn to kind of read your own brainwaves, read read your own sort of body if you like. Um and and respond and do the things that you feel are gonna be most productive in that moment. Don't you know don't don't become a slave to your desk. I think a desk is the worst thing any creative of any kind can, can, can become sort of too attached to you know i know we need it to to kind of sit down (laughs) and actually write the things we want to write um but you know don't feel like it's part of your process it absolutely fucking isn't return to your desk when you've got your idea and you're ready to write and you know all the hard work has been done this is just kind of mechanical monkey typing um but you know i i think sort of an attachment to that you you know you create this little habitat where everything's safe and familiar. And then what you end up writing is always safe and familiar. And very quickly, you build this formula, you build this kind of template for how things must be done. And as soon as you're dealing with formulas and templates, you're dealing with predictable and very safe and very sort of sterile writing. And and that's why, you know, I, I bore my students endlessly about, go outside of the, this, you know, this room, go get get up from your desk, go for a walk, go out into the world, look at the sky, get rained on, see a duck. Uh, You know, anything that's going to kind of take you out of this kind of moment, that's what your brain needs. And as soon as you can start learning and listening to kind of what it is your brain is asking you for, um, you learn that um, there are more than than one ways to to kind of solve a a kind of creative problem. Um, And that there's nothing wrong with doing it in the way that no one else is doing it in.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. It's very... Very reassuring and very sort of freeing um, advice. I think that's great. Um, We'll end on, I'll just ask you, what are your favourite, you know, give me one, two, three favourite ad books and if any of them gave you sort of inspiration in any way?
1: Uh, Oh, okay, good question. So um, I think I'm coming at this from a, a kind of a copy point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I feel like I, I could say the ad books, but I reckon people are, are going to say a lot of the same ones. So um, hopefully I'll, I'll give you something slightly different. Um, so having said that, I'm I'm about to say one of the most, you know, classic and important <laughs> copywriting books around, and that's Read Me by Giles uh, Lingwood uh, and, and uh, Roger Halbury. Um And it's just, it's, it's, A fantastic guide you know if you're if you're kind of coming new into the world of copywriting and you want to understand what that process is and how you actually begin to kind of craft these brilliant bits of copy and these brilliant ads and you know these brilliant messages and stories I think it's such a it does such a wonderful job of kind of introducing you to the process and helping you kind of find your own craft so I think I think that's really really important I would also say I'm reading a book at the moment and I'm not going to kind of go out there on a limb and say this is absolutely for everyone. But there's a lot of really, really kind of interesting and useful stuff in it. And it's a Ted Hughes book. It's called Poetry in the Making. It's a handbook for writing and teaching. Um, And it's, you know, it's probably a little bit. Uh, dense and, and, and kind of elaborate in places, but there's some really incredible stuff in there in terms of just helping you think about a more surprising and beautiful way to kind of express things. I think that would be really worth kind of peering into. Um, and my third one is a book that I only discovered kind of, you know, within the last couple of years. Uh, it's uh, by a guy called Thomas Kemeny, who's a really, really lovely guy, brilliant copywriter. And it's called yeah, Junior.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, I had uh, Thomas on the show. His episode just uh, went, uh, went live. Oh, uh, like, oh, I know week. that. Fuck yeah, it. I'm,
1: I'm not going to promote him anymore. Yeah, he's, he's, he's had, he's had, had his, 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 his show. He's, he's his, sons, so, but his his book <laughs> is brilliant. It's, it's really, really
0: yeah, juniors junior um I read that like right at the start of the course and every time I read it I just need to read um chapter 2 and chapter 3 and like you actually get like enthusiastic and like it's it's like um it's like the pre-game music for a footballer in the changing room for me for like and it's like okay yeah let's go write this headline like it's it's just so, so
1: good. What a, what a brilliant way to describe it. I and I I think you know, we, we talk a lot about Whipple and you obviously, you know, hey Whipple, squeeze this and, and what an important sort of text that is for any young ad creatives. And I tell you know, I stand by that completely. But I feel like when I read Junior for the first time, I felt like we were in that space again. Like, you know, how can you be a, a young creative and not have you know, not have this book, not read this book, not dip in and out of this book kind of continuously. Um so even though I said I wouldn't try and, and promote him anymore and boost his sales anymore. <laughs> um it's i think it's just a really important book and i know that's that feels like a slightly wanky word to use in the context of uh, of kind of what we're talking about but it is you know it's a book that will that will guide a lot of kind of young creatives and i think that's a really incredible thing to have achieved
0: yep absolutely um well thank you very much for coming on uh, it's been fantastic chat really enjoyed this um yeah it's been a good laugh your book copywriting is is out no. Yeah, it's no.
1: there. It's you can get it from um, our publishing partner, at Harriman House. Um, you can get it from ugh, Amazon, unfortunately. Mm. Um, not really we need you, Amazon. Please don't be mean to us. Um, but uh, and and various other places. Yes.
0: Uh, fantastic. Thanks again.
1: Brilliant pleasure. Thanks, Kieran. Cheers.
0: Cheers. If you enjoyed today's episode or any other episode please subscribe and leave a review on the Apple Podcasts app thing. It really helps me fight and beat the algorithm and maybe one day I can achieve my dream of becoming a top 10 marketing podcast in Taiwan. Imagine that. Cheers.